Hello, this is Still Any Good, the podcast where we run the risk of ruining our childhoods by revisiting fondly remembered films. Have you ever wondered if the movies you enjoyed as a child have passed the test of time? Are they disappointingly awful or are they still any good? We've looked at Superman, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Big Trouble in Little China, Face Off, Trading Places, Police Academy 2, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Bugsy Malone, Escape to Victory, Look Who's Talking, The Man with Two Brains, Kindergarten Cop, Short Circuit, Home Alone, Smokey and the Bandit, Tango and Cash. So are these films still any good? Join me, Robert Johnson, in my cosy living room. And me, Christopher Webb, in my garage. And find out for yourselves. (laughs) It's a lovely garage. Welcome back, Sadders, to another episode of the Sitcom Archive Deep Dive Overdrive with me, Eggs Benedict. And me, Alison Barton-Simmons. So, we're on to the sixth and penultimate episode of the first series of Dear John L. Oh, it's, it, it's, I know I say it every, every single series, but we've got here fast. Faster than I, than I anticipated, but I am really enjoying it. Yeah, it's really good. Mm. I was watching a Series 2 episode the other day, actually, and it's, yes. to be honest, it's, it's a little bit of a decline from Series 1, I think. Oh no! It's still still watchable, but that guy, you know, um, from the Bill Tosh. Yes. Uh, it was a couple of episodes with him in, and he's just he's just really annoying. Yeah. But um, now we'll we'll power through when we get to them. I'm sure. Of course we will. The ending of this series, though, I think is is um superb. Oh yes, yeah. That's so. That's for next week, isn't it? Mm. So this episode was out uh, on what date? Um, I've got it written the down. The 24th of March. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it had 13.85 million viewers. All of these episodes are about 13 million viewers, aren't they? Yeah, which I think we figured out was was all right for this period, but not the heady heights of sort of the late 70s, perhaps. Hmm. But it's it's done okay, hasn't it? It was doing all right. Yeah. And, of course, um, I think we discussed in our first episode that I'm not quite sure if the BBC ever did repeat it. My notes said they didn't, and you thought they had once. I thought they had. I'd seen on the on the BBC website where it, it tells you what series have been out ever yeah. on the BBC, that it had been shown again around the 90s. But it, it's definitely not one, you know, you get the, the shows like The Good Life and Faulty Towers get repeated ad infinitum, whereas this, yes. very rarely, however, starting... Ooh. Yesterday, we were recording this on the, on the 15th of February. Starting yesterday on the 14th of February, of course, it'll be like about two weeks' time before you actually hear this episode, I'm afraid. But uh, Forces TV are now showing the whole of Dear John in full. So if you get Forces TV, you can watch it on there. Excellent. I bet it's on, I bet you can get it on like Sky and it's like way back in the numbers, you know, like 800 and something on the mm. channels. Yeah, you can get it on Sky and you can get it on Freeview as well. So Brilliant. Not that I would know because I'm out here, so I can't get it. But hmm. yeah, apparently it's on there. And it's probably going to be better quality watching it on there than it would be watching it on 
our website where we embed all the episodes or indeed on daily motion so if you haven't got the dvds that's the place to catch it of course you're going to hear this after it's probably finished so <laughs> fucking useless information isn't it maybe you'll be able to go back and and i don't know maybe they've got a chance like a rewatch. well they might just be repeating it on over and over because yeah. that's what channels like that do isn't it yeah they yeah they do oh fingers crossed a little bit of trivia for you this week, Al. All right. In the US remake of Dear John, Ralph Dring was changed to Ralph Drang. Why? <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. What's, what's what? Drang presumably is like the past participle of Dring or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been Dringed. It's now Dranged. Yeah, he's Ralph what? Drang. That's really odd. What an odd, an odd name to alter. We are toying with the idea of actually doing a deep dive into just one episode of the US version, aren't we? Yes. Yeah, I'd be interested. Have you ever seen any of them? Have you ever watched it? Just clips on YouTube. Right, okay. Yeah. I'd be interested to see it. Yeah, maybe we'll do another sort of mashup episode with some of our friends somewhere. That'd be fun, we, yeah. We can find any. We can get any friends. <laughs> We're just like John, desperate for someone to <laughs> we'll invite have to go us. to a one-to-one club to find someone to come and... We'll have to do it with the operator, <laughs> like he did. Is it not a Mrs. Lemensky lurking around the door? It's like, what's that jingly jangling? It's like my pen keeps hitting me mug, oh. sorry. <laughs> Ever professional. We, just, we thought we'd have a discussion this week before we got stuck in, because we've done this with uh, our previous... Oh, did we do it with both? With, with The Good Life and Faulty Towers, where we discussed... I think so. Where we discussed who you would pick if you were remaking the show. I mean... Faulty Towers and Good Life don't need to be remade, and let's hope they never do. Dear John, perhaps, is one that's a bit more obscure and a lot of people won't have saw, so maybe. Yeah. But who would you who would you cast as John if you were if you were the showrunner? If I had the choice, if I had the option of, of who to who to cast as John I could I couldn't not think about him once I'd thought it, and it was Martin Freeman, because he is that every man that air of calm and authority, a bit worldly weir, world wearily, uh, just tired, just someone that's a bit tired. Yeah, he's got ball bag eyes like me, hasn't he? He's um, just thinking about it as Tim in the office, just just a bit put on and a bit bit of a not a sad sack, but just a bit stuck. Yeah, do you think he'd do it in a scouse accent like he did in that recent BBC thing? <laughs> Hope not. Hey, Kirk, go down the one-to-one club, lad. <laughs> Might not work. My other option that I chose was Russell Torvey. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think he's a bit of an everyman as well. Yeah, I know he is, and uh, he's been in lots of things, but I've only seen him in a few things. Good actor. Pointy out ears, isn't he? He's the one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know him. That's him. What about you? Did you choose anybody for John? Well, I got two, but one of them's dead, so it's not going to happen. But oh, uh, right, okay. I just thought he'd be good. The recently departed... Sadly deceased, Paul Ritter. Yes, I think that's he, a good shout. He would be good as John. He is an excellent. Sorry, he was an excellent actor, even beyond uh, comedic roles. He's just a really, really good actor. Yeah, and I think he'd be able to give John that sort of anchor thing that that Ralph Bates did. Yep. And the other one I got is a little bit of a left field one. Is Alex Lowe? Oh, who's that? Uh, he's been in so many things, but the thing he's probably most known for, and he does a podcast. Uh, based on this character now, is uh, Clinton Baptiste, the psychic. 
Of course, I do know Clinton Baptiste. He's also, uh, he's been in loads of sitcoms through the years. Often not the main character, but he's he's a very talented guy, and I think he could similarly ground the show. Okay. I mean, he actually usually does the more out there characters, but I don't know. Okay. I just I just sort of saw him as being a potential John. Excellent. What about Kate? What about Kate? Oh, <laughs> Jinx. Oh well, I would say I would say Daisy Haggard could maybe be Kate. That's a good shout. I think she could. I can see her delivering those ratty, passive, well, not passive aggressive, just outright aggressive lines to Kerr yeah. um, rather well. I think she'd be okay. What about you? Um, I I had two. I had two. My first one was Sally Hawkins, who was Mrs. Brown from Paddington, because she's quite. Mm-hmm. I think she's just a great actress, so I think she would be able to turn a hand at sort of both sides of Kate. And Joanne Frogger, who oh, has yeah. been in loads of things. She was in Corrie. She was, like, really feisty in mm, Corrie. Married to Thingy, wasn't she? Uh, Ashley. She was. And then in Downton Abbey, she's quite reasonable and calm and relaxed. So mm. I could see her, her being able to attempt both sides of, of Kate's character. I like Joanne Frogger. She's kind of mm. one of those, a bit like Alex Lowe, who's been in tons of sitcoms in just sort of bit part role. She was in the royal family, wasn't she, as Anthony's wife or fiance in the latter years. Um was she really? Was that not Sheridan Smith? I'm pretty sure it was it was Joanne Frogger. Sheridan Smith did play the the, the girl with the, the dreadlocks who was the vegetarian. Oh no that's right. Yeah no no but this is later, like almost in the last is ever it? ones Joanne Frogger. Okay. Yeah, yeah yeah. She's fab. Yeah, I agree. I th- in fact, I think she's probably now inched out Daisy Haggard. So sorry, Daisy, you're not getting the job. <laughs> See, that's it. For Louise, who have you got? For Louise, I just listed a lot of very well-spoken British actresses. Okay. Shall I just list them? Go on. They're all, you, could, you, you could see them all. So Olivia Coleman. Yeah. Emily Blunt. Wow, too hot though, isn't she? Okay. Helena Bonham Carter. Oh, yeah. Kristen Scott Thomas. Yeah. I don't know why I've got... I've got Celia Imrie in there as well. I'm not really sure why. She's a bit um, old, isn't she? I mean, she's, she's probably she's the same a, age as... Um, an older Rachel actor, Bell. perhaps. I think out of that list, I would go... Kristen Scott Thomas. I think she gives me Louise vibes. Yeah. No, I would say that's the best of your that's the pick of your bunch there. Best yeah. of the pick. Go on, who've, who've you got? Well, first of all, I wrote down Rebecca Front, but I think I mentioned her for another role. Oh, yeah. No, I think she's got Louise vibes as well. She could do it. She's great. Hmm. And then I thought Sharon Horgan could probably do that for yes. justice. Because it's quite a hammy role, and she's good at those type of roles, isn't she? She is good at, at hammy, yeah. I've just seen her recently in, oh, it's on Netflix. And it's a show about a young gay lad in a school, and she's a teacher. Right. She's got that like air of authority about her when she talks, and she's she's. You often see her quite downtrodden, and she's not in this. She's quite quite bullshy. So I think she would be quite good at. Yeah, I don't know. She's quite sassy, and I could see mm-hmm. her delivering. You know, the famous whether any sexual problems line with some. Yes. Gratification. <laughs> yeah. Titillation. I can hear it. Mm. Yep. Uh, so, who who's, who should we do next? Should we do Ralphie? Yeah, let's do Ralph. I've got Mark Heap. Right. 
again another sitcom actor tons and tons of things i think he'd yep. he'd be good is that sort of weird he, I mean, he often plays weird characters when you think of um what's that one the green something that he was in the hospital with tamsin greg and yeah the green something i'm having a brain fart here is it not the green not the, the green ward the green room the green <laughs> Yeah, the green something. Everyone knows what um, we're yeah, talking about. Yeah, I know which one you mean. Yeah, and of course, Friday night dinner. He was the weird neighbour. He, he'd be great in a, a sort of weird sad sack role. Yeah. I can imagine him saying "boogaloo." <laughs> yeah, behind the uh, the With wheels. His little, his little jacket on. Oh, bless him. What about you? I got Taron Edgerton. Oh yeah, for Ralph. I think just because I'd, I've seen him in um, that film about Elton John mm. and. Eddie the Eagle, he plays a kind of bespectacled gives good glasses character. <laughs> he, he gives good glasses. He does. He does. He, he gives me. He gives me the Ralph. The Ralph feelings. Yeah. Yeah, you can see him on a motorcycle combination. I think so. Yeah, he might overplay it a bit though. You know, try and take over. That's the danger of Mark Heap as well, actually. <laughs> yeah. Oh. This is where we need a good director. We didn't think of casting a director. Oh. No. So who's got the difficult job of, of taking over from the renowned spy, Kirk St. Moritz? Oh, I've, I've got three names here and I'm not really sure about any of them now. Okay. However, I will... Right, so I've got um, Chris O'Dowd. Mm. Tom Hiddleston. Ugh. <laughs> no. <laughs> what a visceral reaction that was for me. But he, I think he might take over a little bit. He loves himself, that dude. He does. He, th- he knows his fate, doesn't he? If he could, if he um, could lick and eat himself, he would. I think he would. I think he would. I think he would. Um, Kit Harrington. You know, he was Jon Snow in Game of Thrones. Yeah. I know that sort of like the Jon Snow character, which is really the only place I've seen him, is very understated. Yeah. Quite. I know he's 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 just a, he's a good good egg, isn't he? Really. Yeah. Jon Snow. Yeah, he's a good egg. But I think I think. He could, I think he could play the Kirk character. I think he could, for some reason. He's a bit of a short arse, though, isn't he? That's all right. For Kirk? Well, I suppose, mm. yeah. What else, was, what else has he done other than... Oh, he, he was in Pompeii, wasn't he? I knew he said, up oh, Pompeii, then. <laughs> oh, Mrs. Oh, no. <laughs> That's a different show. <laughs> he was in the film Pompeii. No, I'm not on board. I haven't seen that. No, go on, who have you got then for Kirk? Oh, uh, well, you might not be on board with mine. I've got two. I've got Peter Serafinowicz. Finowicz. Yeah. All right, okay. I could definitely see him giving it the sleazy element of Kirk's character well. Yeah. And I've got Dan Skinner, who is Angelos Epitimu and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I love him. He's great, isn't he? I think he's, yeah, I think he's brilliant. Yeah. Because despite the fact that the character he plays is quite gruesome and grotesque, isn't he, really? He's quite a grotesque character. I think, as as an actor, he's he's massively handsome, so I think it would work really yeah, well. Yeah, he is a handsome guy, yeah, when he's not mm. greased up and carrying around a Sainsbury's oh, yeah. bag, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, could, he could play Ralph, actually. He could, he could, he, he could split, do two roles. He yeah. could take on Ralph as... Well, of course, when... Spoiler alert, I know, but when... Kirk is not Kirk when he's his other alter ego. Mm-hmm. He's a bit Ralph-esque, isn't he? A little bit. So there's not actually that much to choose mm-hmm. between them, really, in, in in one way. Yeah, when he's Eric. So I don't know who we're picking out of that 
Oh, sorry, lot. I know that's a, it's a, a combination. Maybe we could have like an arm off one and a leg off the other and a, the head of one of them. Well, I'll create a poll on our Facebook group and see who gets the vote, shall I? Yeah. Who's your ideal Kirk? And then finally, for Mrs. Arnott, who have you got? Or did you not do one? I did. I got Pam Ferris. Ooh, I like that, yeah. Or Miriam Margulies, who might be a bit too bullshit. Well, she's a very good actress, Miriam Margulies. She is. She's, she plays bullshit very well. But she, I'm sure that she could take direction and sit there just with a hat on quite well, but it almost seems yeah. a waste of Miriam Margulies, doesn't it? A waste it? of Miriam Margulies, yeah. Given her other comedic strings to her bow. I've got yes. Martha Howard Douglas, you know, from the Gang of Idiots or whatever they're called. I don't know her. You will, you will do. She's uh, Lady Button in Ghosts. Oh, I do know her. Yeah, of course yeah. I do. Yes, that's a good shout. She could sit there um, doing the faces because that character is just does the best faces on TV. She does. Lady Button. She does. She just she's re- reacting a lot of the time, isn't she? And she's brilliant. I only have to see that that character's face and I start smiling or even just laughing out loud. I think she's brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Good show. Yeah. Oh, God. Tell you what, we should be casting directors. We should. We should, as long as we can just take the arms off one and the head off somebody else and create a, a mega a mega Kirk. Yeah. Or, in the case of some of our selections, have totally unrealistic targets who are Hollywood A-listers. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and will never, never take a job playing... Fucking Ralph in Dear John. <laughs> in the remake of Dear John. It's not even real. Oh, well, there we go. That was a, a exercise in the pointless as usual. <laughs> I like that. Excellent. Shall we get stuck into this episode, which I don't think we mentioned, but is actually called... The 14-Year Itch. <laughs> Let's do it. Dear John. Dear John. By the time you read this life, I'll be gone. Life goes on, right or wrong. Now it's all been said and done, dear John. Seems we've sung love's last song, dear John. So this week's episode, it starts, uh, John's at school again this week, isn't he? We see him coming out of the school, but he's um, he's been training the, some kids in PE. He's been covering for uh, a skiving PE teacher who is constantly having his cartilage removed, apparently. <laughs> yeah, what's going on there? Ken comes along and starts talking to John. He was in the last but one episode celebrating his 19-year wedding anniversary, wasn't he? Mm, that's a bit of fo- foreshadowing. Yeah. It was a party which John couldn't get a date for, but in this episode, Ken is is fishing for John's Monday report, which is basically John's start of the week bullshit that he reports to Ken about the debauchery that's occurred at the one-to-one club. Yeah. Completely fabricated debauchery. Ken sounds like he gets off on this. He he loves the mythical stories that John comes up with about all the... He, He makes it sound like a blooming orgy, doesn't he? He does, yeah, but Ken remarks that sex with his wife, Maggie, is a case of lights off, vest on. Yeah. Which is a strange way of putting it. Lights off, vest on. Would you not take your vest off? I think it's to sort of illustrate the fact that it it's, it's not great. 
if if someone's putting the vest back on, it just sounds a bit yeah, a bit perfunctory. Yeah. Well, he's living vicariously through John, isn't he? Really, he is. John doesn't seem like he's being explicit, or maybe he is off camera, sort of thing. Mm. Uh, we don't know how explicit John's lies are. We said he's not so bad in the first episode, but he's a bit of a porky teller, isn't he? Spin, he can spin a tail, can't he, for his own advantage to get people to to like him. Mm. Which is all that Kirk's doing in a more um, rambunctious way. It is. He's just more overt, isn't he? I think John's just, yeah, it's quite a sad, a sad little people pleasing exercise, isn't it? Mm. Back at the one to one club, Louise is delivering some club news to a completely disinterested room. Melanie Haddock's Gangsters Moles party has been postponed. Oh. Sad news. Shame. But she's been trying to organise a new dance event, but she can't use the town hall due to a spot of bother. Last time she sort of makes eyes at Kirk. Do you think it was the last party that they had? Well, I don't know, but Kirk says, I didn't start that. She threw the first punch. Oh, dear. So, yeah. Hashtag different times almost really there, isn't it? Mm. Kirk's been going around smacking women. Smacking women. He doesn't learn, though, because is he not throwing throwing something later on in... in was it like the other episode when he was throwing nuts? Oh, at Mrs. Arnott, yeah. 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 No, I don't think he's the type of character to learn from his mistakes. No. There's also a barbecue planned at one of the Monday night people's home, and the Friday night crew have to bring a pig. I thought I had to rewind this and listen a couple of times, because I wasn't sure that's what I heard. But yeah, they have to bring a pig. Hmm. What, what happened? Why can't you just take burgers? Yeah. Sausages. Yeah. Pre-prepared pig. Why are you, why, why are you taking a pig? <laughs> Spit roast, yeah. It's very odd. I, I was surprised that Kirk didn't take the opportunity to make a joke about somebody's looks or something, really. But um, Absolutely. Oh, there is a spit roast joke there that's just begging. Mm. Although, I don't know, maybe that wasn't a, an appropriate point of reference in 1986, maybe. No, but certainly a pig joke about, oh, well, we've got enough pigs here. Yeah. Would have worked. Take but... one of, yeah, I'll take one of these. But he does I mean, he doesn't say that, but there is a lot of passive-aggressive back and forth, as usual, between Kirk and Kate at this point. Yeah. There's some good lines. Kirk says, like Shakespeare said, virginity is like a balloon, one bang and it's gone forever. Yes. There's a missed, there's a missed opportunity there for a prick joke, I think. Yeah, yeah. And Shakespeare wouldn't have missed it. He was a right dirty, bu- dirty bastard. Didn't he? <laughs> Pork sword would have been used, actually, with a pig. Yeah. Do you know what's weird here, though? Kirk quoting Shakespeare isn't something you would expect from that from that character, is it? No, that's true. It's a little bit, mm. a little bit out of character for Kirk to be quoting Shakespeare. I think there's a sort of look exchange between Mrs. Arnott and Louise, so maybe they're right. thinking the same thing. Like, has <laughs> he read Shakespeare? <laughs> maybe, yeah. So, but they've got this pig problem. They need, to, they need to bring a pig. And Ralph offers to pick it up in his motorcycle combination. I thought this, this was brilliant. The fact that he said that it can sit in the sidecar, which already made me laugh. Yeah. The idea of a pig sat in the sidecar. But then Louise says, well, it would look funny riding pillion, which made me laugh even more. And it was that sort of John Sullivan, line them up, line them up. Yeah. Gag at the end. Second so, punchline, third punchline. Brilliant, yeah. yeah. Really, really sort of sharp and short and clever. Well, to be honest, I don't know if they ever get to the bottom of who's going to pick up this pig because it seems like a logistical nightmare to me. But yeah. the, the, the story gets diverted into talk of um, Ralph 
reinvesting his redundancy money into a new business adventure enterprise. Yeah, the most unlikely of, of ventures, I think, for, for someone like Ralph. It's as a second-hand mobile discotheque owner. He's gonna, he's gonna be a DJ. Yeah, I think second-hand. It's just that extra added bit of extra sadness to it, isn't it? He hasn't it even is, bought himself a you new one. You can picture it. It's shabby. It's dented. It's scratched. Some of the lights don't the... work. Oh God, poor Ralph. But everyone's incredulous and understandably so that Ralph is a is a DJ. But Kirk. He is looking after his matey, which may get him an MVP at the end of this, because he suggests to Ralph he could DJ the, the dance that Louise is planning, which is quite caring of Kirk, isn't it, to think of his friend? A good idea, and he's really sort of trying to help him with his confidence and to, and to push him into, into doing this, not in a, in a negative way, but in a you-can-do-this kind of way. Yeah, in a, in a sort of twisted way, he is a good friend to Ralph, mm. which is, as we've said before, what makes him redeemable. He's trying, he's just... His execution is always so clumsy. Yeah, but I mean, Louise is in, Louise isn't having any of this, as she she's saying. Just because he has a pair of swimming trunks, it doesn't make him a pile driver. <laughs> did you say pile driver? I, th- I think I think she did. I think she did say pile driver there. I could pick it up in my motorcycle combination. <laughs> Thank you very much, Rev. Yeah, I could put the pig in the sidecar. <laughs> It would look rather silly riding pillion, wouldn't it? <laughs> so, when's a convenient time for you, dear? Any time at all. I'm not at work. I was made redundant, remember? Oh, yes. You're unemployed, aren't you? Well, I'm more self-employed. You see, I've invested all my redundancy money into a new business venture. You've invested all your money? What have you done, Ralph? I've bought myself a second-hand mobile discotheque. A <laughs> second-hand? <laughs> well, that was a wise move, Ralph. That's what the man who sold it to me said. You're the mobile discotheque? Yes. You're a DJ? Yes. Have you got any bookings? No. <laughs> hey, wait a minute, people. I've been thinking. That's what that noise was. <laughs> You're organising a dance over the local pub. Ralph's got a mobile discotheque. Put the two together. What do you get? I shudder to think. <laughs> You're not suggesting that Reef should be our disc jockey for the evening. Well, why not? Because Reef is not a disc jockey. He's got all the equipment. He's probably got a pair of swimming trunks. That doesn't make him a pearl diver. <laughs> so when Louise and Mrs Arnott disappear for coffee, Kirk tries to coach Ralph into acting with more charm and persuasion in order to convince Louise to, to give him this gig. And he says, well, yes. you could try smiling. And he fixes, <laughs> he fixes this. He pushes his little face. Yeah, he's got this sort of plastered, creepy smile fixed to his face <laughs> to try and convince Louise. And, and this, is, this is, while they're out the room, this is where Ken unexpectedly turns up to John's horror. Yeah, he's, 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 he's horrified, he's panicked, he thinks that something's happened to Wendy and Toby because that would be the only reason that Ken would be there, mm. as John sort of feels. Um, but it turns out that Ken wants to join the group. Oh, I can imagine how this would make John feel. Yeah, he's, he's having a horrible time of it, isn't he? Yes. He's forced to introduce them and he, he says, Kate, Ken, Ken, Kate, Kirk, Ken, Ken, Kirk. <laughs> 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 and Ken says... He felt it was time he came down and joined the club. And he says, you know how I've been since my divorce. Oh, he's a baddie, isn't he? He's a, a wrong isn't he? Men can be such brutes. 
he spins Kirk and Kate a sob story about how ostracized he's felt since his divorce. And Kate's lapping this up. She's really sympathizing with Ken, isn't she? She's, oh, poor guy, you know. Yeah. Oh, John has a word with him, though, in private to mm. try and convince him to not stay. He, he tries to talk him out of coming along in future. But Ken says he just wants a bit of action. and But then John John does admit that he has exaggerated. Yeah, but he's not listening, is he? Ken doesn't believe him at all. Ken just thinks that he's trying to get him to, to, to leave and, and talk him out of it. But he wants fun. He doesn't want to leave Maggie and the kids. He just wants a bit of fun. Yeah, because he's been seduced by John's stories of Filipino twins and a woman in a sunken bath. What? Where would you, where would you be seeing this? Ken's got five kids. And he's been married mm. 19 years. We know this from two year, two weeks ago when he was his 19-year party anniversary. Yeah. So why is yeah. this episode called The 14-Year Itch? I don't know. How very random because it's... Uh, do you think that's just a, a, a miss... Not a mistype, but just a mislabeling because it, it's 19 years. Yeah. It's not 14. 14's... T- I mean, the expression is a seven-year itch. So yeah. it might have been, oh, well, this is twice as much because he's been married longer. But why not? Yeah. Why not have him celebrating his fourteenth wedding anniversary? Yeah, or even his twenty-first or something. I think there's some there's some missing missing thing there. I think. Who are we to question, John Sullivan? Though, I suppose John Sullivan. We're probably yeah. missing something obvious again, like normal a couple of bellends. <laughs> um, Louise comes back in, and she's at this point she's agreeing to give Ralph the gig if he stops following her around with that ridiculous chimpanzee grin. John introduces Ken to Louise, who encourages Ken to introduce himself to the group. She gives it, um, hi, Ken, doesn't she? She does. So, Tell us about yourself. So it made me think of Barbie Girl by Aqua. <laughs> a little bit. And Ken says he's he's been divorced for about a year, and he and his wife drifted apart, leading to Louise asking the usual question. Were there any sexual problems? And when he says no... She's immediately bored and not interested anymore. But but at this yeah. point, the bastard then starts saying it was because his missus couldn't have kids. Yeah. And she's got five. Well, he's got five that he's effectively disowning at this point. Kirk says, did you have her tubes looked at? <laughs> God, he's just so, just so blunt, isn't he? Yeah. He's obviously trying to... He's, perhaps he's not always... Trying to make a joke of everything. I just think sometimes he's just so so socially awkward that he struggles to ask the right questions in the right way. Yeah, he does seem like he was genuinely inquiring rather than taking the piss. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I mean, while Ken's spinning this increasingly elaborate tale, John's just wincing at these awful lies. Yeah. He's going, oh, Ken. (laughs) A bit like Deirdre Barlow, that one. Oh, oh, Ken. (laughs) This is rapidly becoming my uh, platform for impersonations, but I can do an impersonation of Blanche Hunt in Corrie. Okay. But only the one word. You can. <laughs> it's good, eh? Ten out of ten. It's no boisey like that. It's not, no. Louise is moved by Ken's lies, as is Ralph, whose wife didn't understand him because she was Polish. Because <laughs> she was Polish. I love that. That was um, a good punchline. And then Mrs. Arnott pipes up, doesn't she? She says that when she told her husband she was leaving him, he started drinking heavily. Yeah. Which um, I'm sure was going to lead to some sort of punchline because that's what usually happens when Mrs. Arnott pipes up and says something. 
but it was actually just a, a method of getting a, a sort of sidebar, if you like, between Kate and Ken, so they could have their little private conversation while the group carried on talking about Mrs. Arnott's husband's drinking. I wanted to know. I wanted to know more about that. Yes, and then they end up going to the pub. So the obvious, the obvious, obvious discussion of of this guy, this poor guy, starting drinking after they've broken up. Yeah. Um. Then, yeah, it triggers that. Oh, let's go. Should we go to the pub? Yeah, that seemed to be what they did every week. I once went mm. to a, a Gamblers Anonymous meeting in Liverpool, mm. and I was bad on the old fruities. Yeah. When I was at, when I was at uni, I tell you what, it was enough to put me off gambling for life. God. Really. But my point is that you know where they held it in a in a church opposite the Grosvenor Casino. Oh God, that's often the case where you find places like that in really inappropriate spots. Yeah. Oh dear. So did they just like come out of the meeting and go straight across the road? Yeah, and... yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was invited, yeah. but I mean, I wasn't that sort yeah. of gambler. I was more like the fruit machines. You know, I wasn't far down the path, but you did some real, you know, my heart went out to a lot of them. And especially because mm. they brought their partners with them. They were all men. Yeah. This was the 90s. And they brought women with them, their, their girlfriends or partners. And they went into yeah. a separate room for the yeah. for their sort of like, support meeting yeah like an Al-Anon equivalent but for gamblers exactly but the two rooms were separated by like a little hatch right okay and one of these scouts wags opens up the door and goes I'll have 15 quid 15 quid each way on a 315 <gasps> oh my god I know <laughs> it was enough to put me off gambling <laughs> oh no not working the program there I do call this gamblers anonymous and so now I'm telling all the tales <laughs> so that's me and the Blackballed. So in the pub, as you say, they're in the pub, and Kirk is is giving Ralph another te- another pep talk, telling him he needs a personality. Yeah, bless him. He needs to develop a personality because he doesn't have one. Again, very blunt. Now listen closely, Ralphie. Just over a week from today, you make your debut as a DJ right here in this magnificent auditorium. Now we've got a hell of a lot of work to do, my man. We've got to get you a personality. Why? Because you haven't got one. <laughs> this moment in time, Ralphie, you are boring. Boring, boring, boring. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> the chicks are going to come in, you're expecting to find some sort of record Rambo. A disc jockey who is somewhere between John Travolta and Richard Gere. And what are they going to get? Me. <laughs> and that's about as much fun as gangrene. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see the problem, Kirk. Uh... <laughs> oh. Because he will listen to him. I think he'll listen to Kirk. I think he takes what Kirk says as being really important and yeah. something that he could use, especially if he wants to be more of a personality, more successful sort of socially. He's, he probably sees Kirk as being like the pinnacle of all that. Yeah, he's looking up to him. In fact, you can see if this had gone on to a third series, you can see him trying to remake him in his image. Yes. You know, like the full, the full Tony Monero outfit on Ralph. God, he would. He would. I find this a bit of a meta moment, actually. Kirk tells Ralph that he needs to be a cross between, I think he meant John Travolta and Richard Gere. Oh, yeah, and he says Gia, doesn't he? <laughs> but he calls him Richard Gia. And I didn't know whether that was... Because surely, as a director, you'd hear that and go, you've said it wrong. No, that must have been scripted. I think it's a bit like like Del Boy's um, Spoonerisms, you know. yeah. Just unaware, really. I, mean, I suppose we find out that perhaps he is unaware. He's, he's obviously, he hears stuff and he parrots it and he, he doesn't really mean anything because 
it's not really him. It's not really what he he knows and believes. Hmm. But the John Travolta thing, I found quite. It was like ding 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 ding. Yeah, he's actually said the person he's parodying here. Yeah. Yeah. So Kirk says his clothes make him look like a sack of infested kidney beans floating on a cesspit. Oh. Oh, poor Ralph. But then they start to brainstorm names, don't they? Yes, for his mobile disco. Yeah, what can he call himself that gives him a bit more pizzazz and is a bit more catchy? I loved Ralph's suggestion was Ralph Dring's mobile discotheque. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is brilliant. Well, then later on he says, what about Keith? <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Ralphie. But adjacent to, to this discussion, Kate and Ken are, are getting up to leave to go and they're going to go and get mm. something to eat together now. And, and John's trying to warn Kate off, but can't get her away from Ken. Yeah. And, and John's very flustered at this point. He's like, oh God, this is awful. You know, his, his new friend's going off with his old friend and he's worried about, no doubt, his relationship with Ken's wife as well. Yeah. Who we see later on. So uh, so Kate and Ken leave and John goes and sits with, with Ralph and, and Kirk. And they, they try and get him involved in the brainstorming session. And inexplicably, Kirk suggests Darren. Yeah. And that's, if anything, that's almost as bad as Keith and Ralph, isn't it? <laughs> Darren isn't is an it, exciting name. Is it? Is it perhaps part of like using it as... Like disco, Darren, like alliteration. Yeah, maybe. And I think Darren in like sort of eighty six perhaps was a quite modern name, a quite right trendy name, perhaps. So who who would have made that flavour of the month, Darren Day? I think I don't know. He was a bit young, weren't he? But I know I know sort of quite a few Darrens that are that are, would have been around, like born in the seventies. Yeah, I've always thought it was a bit of a wank name, to be honest. Really. Ah, right. I know it's, it feels it feels of a time, but I, I do think it's to do with the disco, disco Darren. Yeah, perhaps. Alliteration so. name. Ralph and Kirk think John is jealous, don't they? Yeah, I wondered that, though. I think he's just worried about the fallout from this and okay. Kate getting hurt. But, but John okay. confides in them that he tells them both that Ken isn't divorced and he's married with five kids. Yeah. And Ralph states the obvious. He says, do you know what I think? I think he's lying to Kate. <laughs> ding, ding. You're right, Ralph. And John says Ken was dazzling her with his with his story of misery, and that's what gives Kirk, Kirk the idea for dazzling Darren Dring, the mobile disco. Yeah, maybe it's Darren as well for the Dring for the surname. Darren, yes, Darren yeah, yeah. Dring's got it's got triple alliteration there, hasn't it? And that's decided. So, so it cuts to an outside shot now of John, uh, presumably the next day at a boozer, or even later in the week. Yeah, and we see Ken and Kate arrive outside the pub. Strolling along, arm in arm, they're clearly... Like a couple, like a proper couple. Yeah. I, I thought that's happened quick, but I think John says something about your dates are getting earlier and earlier, so this must be a week or so later even. Right, know. so they've seen each other a few times then. Yeah, they've been getting closer, and apparently last night Ken stayed over at Kate's. Yikes. Mm. And then she says, he's the best thing that's happened to me in a long time, and I trust oh, no. him. I have you to thank, she says to John. Oh, God. oh no, it's getting worse. So John's really having a crisis at this point. But as as he goes to head into the bar to find Ken, Ken says nothing happened last night. He thinks maybe she's a bit frigid. So that's good, really, isn't it? Because it might have been even more heartbreak for poor Kate yeah. if they'd gone further. They settle down together to have a chat, these three. 
And then who should turn up with five kids in tow? But Maggie. The wonderful Maggie. Played by Sue Holderness. Yes, we've seen her before. We have, yeah. Shall I do it? Yeah. No, no, I don't want to, no. I feel feel like I'm overplaying it. Put you on the spot. (laughs) Yeah, I'm overplaying it. So Ken runs away before he is spotted and Marlene marches over. There she is. uh, Demanded to know where Ken is. What's happened here is Ken's used John as his alibi for the previous night for not coming home. So she's blaming John now for filling Ken's head with with nonsense and uh, sordid sex life stuff. And she's given him both barrels, isn't she? She is, outside the pub. In front of her five spawn as well. Yeah. Can I just ask something about about Marlene, about Sue Holderness? Yeah. She was playing both these parts at the same time in works by the same writer. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's really confusing. That's like that's a really odd thing to do, I think, isn't it? That you, you'd be recognised as one character, but then you're a different character, but in the same sitcom. Well, it's not the same universe, though, is it? Oh, well, I suppose it could be. We could have had a crossover episode where they hired the nag's head yeah. or something. I just, I, it just, it just struck me as as unusual for for an actor to do that. Well, you get actors who are like very much muse of a particular director. Yeah. Yeah, by the same writer, it just felt like, oh, right, okay. And she's great, so... She is great, yeah. She's great in Fools and Horses as well. Yeah. I don't know if this would have been on at the same time, literally. I think Fools and Horses did have a few years off before it came back when there was almost like a, a delineation point between... I mean, obviously, you've got the granddad years and the Uncle Albert years, but then it was off yeah. air for a bit. It came back and Del was a yuppie. And that I think yeah. it had been off, off air for a few years. Maybe this was during okay. that period. Not sure. Well, it said that she was she was Marlene from eighty five to two thousand and three, and this was eighty six. But it could have been like, yeah, it could, I suppose it could have been a yeah an off time. I want to know what the hell is going on. He's got another woman, hasn't he? We've got a right to know. I am his wife. These are his children. Yes. Uh, hello, kids. Hello, Uncle John. <laughs> this is all you're doing. Me? Oh, come on, Maggie. You filled his head up with all those stories about your wild sex life. Come home and tell me all about it. The the woman with the the sunken bath and the bottle of matey. The, the Filipino twins. And then you persuaded him to go with you to that, that rotten club of yours. Well, I hope you're satisfied. Maggie, please, I didn't persuade anyone to do anything. Kate's also furious with John because she says to him, the hysterectomy didn't quite take, did it? <laughs> and then she storms off. And, and John, he's done nothing wrong other than bullshit to his mate. It's all on yeah. Ken, isn't it? Mm. He's made the decision to do this. Although, if she's been seeing him for a week, John's had the opportunity to warn her. I just think he's a bit spineless, John. I think even despite the fact that we do like him and we think he's a good egg. Mm. Do you think it's split loyalties as well, though? Because Yeah. Yeah. This is an old friend of his, isn't it? Mm. Although his last old friend stole his wife, so <laughs> he needs to pick his friends better, I think, this guy. Yeah, I think he does. John makes his way home and then Ken screeches to a halt in front of him and doorsteps him. Door stops him, doorsteps him. Doorsteps him, yeah. And calls him a bastard, accusing him of grassing him up. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. So from this we work out that someone's called Maggie and dobbed him in, basically, to use an Antipodean phrase. <laughs> it doesn't take much to work out who that might have been because 
didn't the the person who called say he's seeing some other chick? Chick. So yeah, it's dead obvious in it who's done it. Yeah. So, so at this point, we cut to the pub and, and Ralph's disco's in full swing. <laughs> I love these scenes. He's only got one record, though, and he's played Shake and Stephen's Green Door 14 times. Doing that funky thing. <laughs> and he's just prowling around behind the, behind the wheels in like a shiny Ben Elton-looking suit. Yeah. Looking every inch not the DJ. <laughs> oh, dear. And he's sort of punctuating... His records with little sort of sound bites that Kirk's fed him, such as feel that funky beat, <laughs> get on down. Boogaloo. Boogaloo's my favourite. Oh, bless him. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't be impressed if you'd booked that, would you? No, you wouldn't. Not at all. This, even though I, I knew it was coming, I've seen it before, this made me wonder mm. whether, and I don't know if you remember this scene, but in Father Ted, which is my favourite sitcom ever, yeah, there was a scene where... Father Billy O'Dwyer brought in. And Dougal says, great, the spin master. <laughs> <laughs> he's the only guy who could DJ and he's brought in. And it turns out for this for this raffle or whatever Ted's doing, it turns out he's only brought one record with him, which is, oh. I think it was Ghost Town by the Specials. And he just keeps playing it over and over and over again. I prefer that to Green Door, I think. Oh, God, yeah. But I'm just wondering whether Graham Lennon and Arthur Matthews sort of set up this this priest as a... Like an homage. Yeah, an homage to, to Ralph Drings Mobile Disco. Maybe. Oh, sorry, Dazzling Darren. Dazzling, yeah, yeah. Maybe. This isn't really disco-related, but it, for some reason it popped into my head that some friends of mine went to Glastonbury a few years ago. You know, like, you've obviously got your main stage. There's all sorts of shit going on at Glastonbury. I've never been. Yeah. But you've also got, like, the little tents for the more obscure stuff. Yeah. And you can go and see... You've always got spoiled for choice. You can always go and see something. There's loads on offer, yeah. So they, they didn't like it was on the main stage or the pyramid stage or whatever it is. So they went into this tent where there was all this sort of African music playing. Right. And it was full of sort of Guardian readers stroking their chin, you know. And, mm. Okay. And they were just, yep. they were not really enjoying it and thought it was a bit pretentious, this this world music that was playing. And then one of them, one of the lads is a bit of a knob after one song ended, he went, play what we know. <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> they all wanted the ground to swallow them up. Oh, I bet they did as well. <laughs> oh. It's the sort of thing I'd like to see as a fly in the wall, but I wouldn't want to be associated. But, yeah, not be part of it. Yeah. Oh, jeez. It's a great thing to shout in a, in a world music tent. Boogaloo. <laughs> 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 well, Mrs. Arnott loves... Um, Dazzling Darren, doesn't she? She thinks it's great. She does. She's got a cocktail in her hand. She's a bit pissed. Yeah. She has a right good time at these dudes, doesn't she? Yeah. And I think she's got an affection for, for Kirk and Ralph and everyone as well. Yeah. Yeah, she, I think she loves the group. She loves the members. And I think she does really, truly see them as friends. I mean, she's sweet. So John turns up demanding an explanation from Kirk at this point. And Kirk says, mm. what makes you think it was me, Guy? And John says, well, the caller said he sounded like an idiot. <laughs> And and Kirk actually goes, oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, I I did like the fact, though, that he said, I didn't want to see him messing Tiger up. Yeah, he says the the creepy guy would have messed Tiger up. And he's actually got a decent radar. He knows this guy's not legit. I guess it's like game recognises game, as they say, you know. Possibly. So, uh, yeah, so he looked him up in the book and and phoned up his missus and dobbed him in. Mm. The flame and galal. (laughs) 
<laughs> John wants to know why you do anything for Kate because they fight all the time. And, and this is where Kirk admits for the first time that he actually likes Kate a little bit. Yes. He wants he wants some advice from John because he says he thinks that Kate is looking for a wimp. So you might be able to help me out. Oh, but then this 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 made me a bit frustrated thinking what's what the thing that's to come, which we will talk about next week. Yeah, it it makes sense to me. Yeah, if he just if he was just more genuine, just a, just a bit genuine and chill about it all. But but John's advice is just basically try being nice, stop calling her frigid and everything. Yes, makes sense. His idea of wooing a woman is is almost like a schoolboy's where you just like. Are mean to girls, they notice you, yeah. isn't it? You know, throw sticks at her until she, so she keeps paying me attention. Yeah, that's it. And it's it, and it's an odd premise, that isn't it? It's like no hashtag different times, isn't it? No, it's like got it, yeah. If someone's pulling your hair and pushing you on the floor, mm. yeah, you don't take that as that they like you because nice people don't do things like that. No, well, there's a bit more of an enlightened time for so. for the victims of of. Of, yes. uh, abusive relationships as well, isn't it? Yeah. They know what. You don't need to put up with that. They know terms like gaslighting and and what's what's on and what's not on. To, a, to well, yeah. not not in every instance, but you know, to a more extent than probably in the nineteen eighties. Of course. When when Kate arrives, though, Kirk says to her, "Hi, Tiger. You're looking nice. Lovely outfit. I heard a creepy guy dumped you." And went back to his wife and kids. So he like gives it with one hand and takes <laughs> it away with the other. She explodes, though, doesn't she? She does. She's really venomous. Does she call him a pusshead? She calls him, I've written it down here, she calls him the most pathetically witless, boring, objectionable, loathsome, foul-brained, festering sore that ever climbed out from beneath a slimy stone. That's harsh, isn't it? That's full on. Yeah. The, the little boy in Kurt probably thinks, oh, she's paying me attention. Yeah. Sad, isn't it? She likes me. And, but that she's panicking. All she's panicking about is that John and Kirk have been laughing at her. Yeah. Behind her back, which is which is understandable, isn't it? You 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 would you would draw that conclusion, perhaps. But Kirk actually says it worked. I thought she was going to say no because he's asking her out. Yeah. And she didn't say no. She just slagged him off and called yes. him all those things. Mm. And the idiot thinks, oh well, that's progress. Dear, dear, oh dear. This is why it's known as a depressing sitcom, isn't it? Because all of the characters are just really. So broken and damaged in, in in these ways that it's almost not comedic, but yeah, because of, you've got such a great gag writer, it, it's funny despite all those things, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And that's the end of that one, isn't it? Seems we've sung love's last song, dear John. Again, it it ended on a really odd note. There's no real resolution to anything. No, presumably they all had a nice night listening to. One record by Shaking Stevens, Green and then went home. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wanted to see. I wanted to see Ken get his comeuppance. I wanted to see some the retribution. I wanted to see Kate get her own back on him. I don't know how. Well, we do. We do get Ken and Maggie. In fact, Maggie's in season two a lot. Yeah. Series two, bloody hell! Come on, Ben. You're not American. <laughs> yeah, Maggie's in it more, presumably because she had uh, the week off from Fools and Horses. Yeah. <laughs> So we'll get to see how their marriage pans out in, in a few mm. weeks' time. I didn't get any bric-a-brac this week, did you? I didn't, no. Well, that was quick then, wasn't it? <laughs> the end. That's that done. I'll see you next week. No, um, well, we might as well do Fashion Corner then, Al. I've got some of that. There's plenty of that. Yeah, let's, there's loads of that this time. Let's do it. Boogaloo. Boogaloo. <laughs> 
start of this episode when John's been standing in as a PE teacher for the teacher that's not in school at the moment he's in like a red I want to say red velour because that's yeah. a very 80s sort of fabric isn't it? Red velour or it's a sh- or shiny polyester it's something that would possibly go up in flames if you went down a slide on it. Being up like a chippy up like a chippy it, 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 yeah, if you if you slid down the, the stairs on your bottom, it would it would melt. I think whatever it's made out of. But it's uh, yeah, that oh, it's bright red. There's like no detail on it. It's just like oh shit, tracksuit, shit tracky. He's a state in it as well, isn't he? He's not a fit lad. Oh, John's just he's just not someone with any kind of style, really, is he? No. And fashion sense. So yeah, red man-made material tracksuit. Louise has got a purple blouse with an open collar. Um, it's got gold chains, which is very, very of of the era. Very, very eighties. Yeah, I think women of a certain age they got to a certain a certain time in the life, and then gold. There's gold embroidery. And we've got gold chains. Yeah, just a, just a, a sense of middle aged about it. I don't know if she's playing older, like a character older than. The actress was so. Okay. And that's what they put her in to make her look older. Yeah, maybe. I mean, she was only mid-30s, okay. wasn't she? Yeah. So, maybe even in the 35, so, you know, she's 10 years younger than me. I've got a really hard time deciding on, on ages around this era, only because my only point of reference would have been my mum, who would have worn clothes like that, despite the fact that she would have been younger than me. And I don't dress like that, and it's that weird juxtaposition. Like, yeah, of, of ages and, 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 and eras. Yeah. Anyway, there was gold chains. There was. Kirk, not in his white jacket in this episode. It's the grey speckled jacket again, which I, I, I think that's. I think he suits that better than the white one. The white one gives me the ache, but the grey one I think is is quite sedate and handsome. Mm-hmm. Ralph's or oh, Ralph's shiny suit his silver shiny suits that he's got on with his usual clothes underneath when he's a <laughs> DJ quite cute um, but it's almost like I mean tinfoil isn't it these, these jackets it's just a weird a weird silver you must associate that with that's what you wear when you're a flashy DJ yeah you wear something that's just ridiculous either that or Kirk's outfitted him and said this is what Maybe. you need to wear you need this on we see Kirk later on though in his white suit with a red shirt and a red pocket square which is dated and uh, it, it does make me feel a bit weird but yeah at least he's coordinated with his with his little pocket square Kate is in a long blue suit jacket at the disco looking really cute and I think it might have been something that we've seen before when she's when she sort of spends time out of the one-to-one club we see her in in this this like dress jacket but yeah, looking looking good. They all they all put the effort in anyway. I think for the um, for dazzling Darren's roadshow. Mm. They're the only ones in the pub though, aren't they? <laughs> it's yeah, a, it's a sad do, really. It is a sad do. And that's it for this week. Okay, so uh, did you pick an MVP from from all that lot? 
I definitely did, yes. In the same as mine. It was Kurt this week. Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. Kurt's going to win yeah. it. Kurt's going to win it. I think, he, yeah, I think he, has, he He just seemed to step up. When it came to helping Ralph, he stepped up as a friend. He was oh, a bit clumsy, but very caring of Kate. And yeah. just seemed one of the most genuine in this episode. And he, and he actually showed he's got that radar for people as well. Yeah. I mean, he might not be very nice to them himself, unintentionally, but... It seemed like he knew straight away, even before this guy, it became apparent this guy was married, he knew yeah. that he was a creepy guy. Yeah. I don't think he's mean. I don't think there's any intention in his in his weirdness and bluntness and meanness sometimes. Mm. I think as a character, I think he's just socially inept. He's just a child, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. There's never any malice, I don't think. Yes, yeah, same here. For all those reasons. Kirk MVP, yeah. so he wins it again. He must be winning. I'm sure he is. I think so. Hey, that's the kind of guy he is. <laughs> hey, guy. So, uh, next week we're at the end of Series 1. It's Episode 7 and the last one of Series 1. Do you know what it's called, Al? I do. This is Undercover. It was at the end of March in 86 that this was on TV for the first time. This is a very Kirk-centric episode, isn't it? Oh, it is. Yes, I've had a sneak a sneak revisit already to this, and I, I'm looking forward to deep diving. Yes, I think it's a good one. And probably if you're listening to this podcast, you know what the, the spoiler yeah. is, because you'll have watched Dear John in the 80s. You're not going to listen to a podcast about Dear John, having never watched Dear John, are you? I agree. So uh, I'm sure everyone... Everyone who likes the shit that we do every week, <laughs> at least, will be yeah. looking forward to it. Yeah, you, you know what we're talking about already. So yeah, we'll see you then. Tune in, and we'll uh, we'll have a good dissection of Kirk's and Merritt's stroke. Eric Morris. Ooh, can't wait. I'll see you then. Yeah. Dear John, dear John, by the time you read this line, I'll be gone. Life goes on. Seems we've sung love's last song, dear John.